Hello, Money Multipliers, and welcome back to another episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and again, I'm joined here by my friend, colleague, mentor, Jonah Dew. Jonah, what's up today, my man? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing fine today. Uh, Doing fine. Uh, Had a little bit of a restless night of sleep last night. Uh, based on my kids, they were, they were, well, really, I was having a great night of sleep. They were having a restless night of sleep, which caused me to have a restless night of sleep. If, uh, if any other parents can feel me out there. So, uh, other than that, I'm doing fine. Uh, there's no issues over here and having a great old day. How are you doing? Good. No, no. So, so I'm good. I know you, you told me right before we got on, you got, uh, the new bunk beds. So the kids kiddos got new bunk beds that they're sleeping on. Um, and actually myself, I'm actually uh, spending my nights in the back of my van. So um, anyways, it's summertime. And usually in the summertime, I like to bounce out of Florida because it's just way too dang hot down there in the south of Florida in the summertime of August. So um, I'm in the van. I'm in Kansas City today heading up to uh, the Idaho cabin. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I did get him new bunk beds. Uh, my son was having a, he says the bunk beds are, are a little uncomfortable. First night on the top bunk. I said, what do you mean a little uncomfortable? He said, well, dad, the bunk beds are made out of wood. And if you sleep on wood, it's uncomfortable. I said, you know, you know what? <laughs> that sounds about right. Sounds about right, man. But there's a mattress. So, you know, stay in, stay on the mattress. He'll be okay. Uh, but other than that, we're doing good. We're doing good. So how long, where are you now, Hannah? And how long is it going to take you to get up to Idaho? Yeah, yeah. I would say, um, well, really, we, we got, I know I'm meeting you, Jonah, next week or the week after or so in Indy. So we'll, we'll meet out there in Indianapolis. I say by the end of August, because I just got some trips and folks to meet and uh, people to serve in the meantime. Very cool. Very cool. So just in case you guys have been listening to the last few episodes of the podcast, you should know a few things. And one is we've actually got some special guests slated for uh, the end of the month. And as we move forward, so keep on listening, we're going to have some fun with some special guests. And then like uh, Hannah just said, we're actually going to be together in just a few weeks, which also means we'll have some special guests. We're going to meet a few of our other business partners and uh, agents, and we're going to interview and talk to them and stuff like that. So we should have some more special content for you coming very, very soon. Very, very soon. I'm excited about it. Sorry. Hop into it. Let's do it. <laughs> all right, all right. So, so let's talk about this. So, anyways, this is a story that uh, w- that that was posted online out there, and um, and really, I, I just kind of wanted to debrief the story, kind of kind of just like a fun little episode today. I know I know our last episode was actually a uh, a, a person, an actual client, a prospect that was writing into us, but this one we found uh, elsewhere out there on the web. So. Um, I don't know. So Jonah, did you want to, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll start off the story. Do you have any comments before we hop into it? Yeah, no, I think uh, just like you said, it sounds great. Let's dissect it kind of line by line as we can. If there's something to dissect, we'll throw in our two cents about using uh, infinite banking concept policies and privatized banking concept policies, and also some personal stories uh, that have happened to us on this particular topic. So I think we're going to be in great uh, shape as we walk through it. I think it'll be fun. So uh, Hannah, I think you're up first. Why don't you uh, get into it? Let's do it. So, all right. Um, so here we go. So I, so this is a, a 48 year old male. So, so I have a son that graduated his year from high school. So this year from high school. 
My wife and I started his college fund the minute we found out she was pregnant. Since we make good money in the mid-six figures, his college fund currently has almost 400000 in it. Nice. Okay. We have never told our son what to do with his life. We may have guided his decisions as any good parent would and should, but since he was still young, we let him make his own decisions. We also never expected academic excellence or forced him into sports or artistic activities. Now that he has graduated high school, he says that he does not want to go to college. We said as long as he was sure, he could do whatever he wanted. He refused trade school, too. He also did not want to go work with us in our business. He said that he planned to use his college fund to start a business of his own. I said that I will allow it only if he takes some business management, accounting, and law classes in the nearby community college. I said that I would pay them out of pocket and not from the fund. And then I would expect a well-made business plan before I would give him the money. My wife agrees 100%. However, there's some hostility going on because he thinks we are holding his college fund hostage to make him do what we want. We think we are just doing what is best to make sure his business succeeds. Am I wrong for doing this? All right, let's let's dive into it. So I, I wanted to go back to kind of the first kind of line item that he mentions. He says, We started the college fund the minute we found out that she was pregnant. We make good money. His college fund currently has almost $400,000 in it. So, and we know that his son just graduated from high school. So if you just graduated from high school, what are you? 17, 18, 19? Is it okay? I mean, he doesn't say that, but let's just assume he's 18 years old, right? Mm -hmm. You started the college fund the second they found out she was pregnant. You've got 18 years of putting money in it. Got $400,000 in there. You divide that by 18, that's about 20,000 bucks a year. 20,000 bucks a year that they're putting into this college fund. So that's pretty significant. Now, so let's kind of start with why they would be putting money into the college fund. Like what are some of the advantages that that folks say are the reason you'd put money into the college fund? So I know one advantage that lots of people would throw out, shout out right away. And they say, well, I'm going to do that because the money grows tax deferred, right? It grows tax deferred. There's a tax benefit. And again, because it grows tax deferred, I can actually deduct whatever I'm putting in that plan from my annual income so I can pay a little bit less taxes as well. Let me ask you this question, Hannah, though. What does tax deferred mean? Tax deferred means is that I'm putting my dollars into an account. They they are pre-tax money. And then now it's in an environment where it's growing in that pre-taxed environment. So now when I want to go and take it out later on in life or when I'm ready, I got to go and pay the tax on that money now. Oh, goodness. Okay. So a lot of people, I think a lot of people get a little bit confused with tax deferred and uh, maybe tax free or or. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just not non-taxable, right? Tax deferred means I'm not paying taxes now and I agree to pay taxes later. So let me ask you this question. And I know we didn't uh, do a little bit of research. Maybe someone on the uh, who's listening can ask us or, or tell us this answer. Has the tax code around 529 college savings plan changed in the last 18 years? 
Wouldn't that be a question that would be interesting to know, right? Because instead of paying the taxes on the 20000 bucks a year, you determined or decided, no, I'll wait. I'll, I'll gather all the money. I'll let it grow if it grows, right? Because 529s are actually investment accounts. They're called college savings accounts, but they are investment accounts, meaning it could go up, could go down, that type of thing. And, uh, and, uh, and then I'm agreeing to, I'll all pay taxes in 18 years, right? And so the question then is, well, did taxes adjust? Did taxes change in the last 18 years toward these specific plans? Uh, and, uh, of course, we'll, we'll take a look at that really quick. And if you know the answer to that in the comments, then, then shout it out. But that's kind of the first line item, right? Well, they're more than likely putting money in there because the tax, uh, the tax deferred concept, right? The other line item that they're putting in there is, um, is a lot of people want to do that because it's like a, uh, it's, it's like a, a, a plan or a program that kind of promotes, I really should be saving for my kid's college tuition, right? So it's like no other options. Does that make sense? It's no other options. Yeah. It's forcing me into saving for college, which a lot of people think is a really good thing, but as you could say, it's a really good thing. A lot of people would maybe say that's a really bad thing. There's no other options. And I think you had a story like that where someone had put some money into a college savings plan for you, um, but then it would, didn't work. It couldn't work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so w with my stories is that, you know, I was um, actually I was using my college plan. So this was actually uh, my grandpa. My grandpa was doing this. He was doing it for me, my younger brother, and then also my cousin. And and he was putting dollars away. I don't know, we maybe had about $10,000 in that in that uh, college education plan. And anyways, what, what grandpa would do is he's funded into that. And I graduated high school and I was ready to go to college. And the first step that I did was I actually did start classes down at a community college here over in Kansas city. Um, you know, the, the, the college plan worked. It did work in that sense for the community college. And I was allowed to use those dollars to go out and buy my school books. So, so that was perfect. However, you know what I did? I never finished that community college. I actually was interested in going out and, and looking at a school over in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, this is called SCAD, uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. And, um, over in Savannah, I, I was I, I was so dang close. I, I was I was almost just a, a penny over going toward to that school. Um, but but anyway, so some life things happened, and so I never went. But what I found out is is that that school would not that my college education plan would not fund for that school. It, it was not allowed with what that university did not accept that college education plan. So I'm like, well, what do I do with all this money that I've been saving up to go to this college that grandpa's been saving up inside of this plan? And now grandpa still calls, calls me to this day because he's like, Hannah, I need to figure out a way how to get this money out of this college education plan and not pay the taxes on it. And I say, grandpa, I don't know how else to do that besides me going back to school. And I'll be real with you. I don't know if I'm going to be doing that anytime soon. <laughs> you want to know something crazy. So not only does does it not apply to the certain school like in your scenario but if you were to decide to go to that school anyway and you rack up like you know like student loan debt just 
taking the, the, the government loans. You, did you know that 529s can't pay off those loans? Oh, and you can't even use the money to pay it off. I, now, again, I think there's like a limitation. Like you can use $5,000 to pay it off. But in this gentleman's situation where he's got $400,000 in there, his son couldn't even go to a school where maybe it won't pay for the school and then use the money to pay off the bill. You literally can't even do that either. Because, yeah. again, that would be like paying for the school that it's saying it's yeah, not going to pay for. So. Right. Exactly. And how crazy is that though? Like I saved up the money and then there's limitations on what school it can pay for. That's, that's wild. Anyway, let's keep moving. So that exact situation sounded like it happened to this gentleman or this gentleman's son in our story said he didn't want to go to college. He didn't want to go to trade school. He didn't want to work in our business. Uh, He wanted to do a business on his own. I said that I'll only allow it if it, if he takes business management, accounting and law classes at the community college. And he said I was going to have to pay for them out of pocket and not from the fund. How crazy is that? $400,000 saved up. And then you, you're not going to, you know what I mean? Like what, I, I guess maybe we're missing part of the story or we don't have this gentleman to call and ask him. Right. But that doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. If I got $400,000 saved up for a child's tuition school bill here, and then they're going to go to school or I'm asking them to go to community college before they start their own business, I would be using that money if I can, if it's allowed to, for me to use the money, right? It's exactly what I'd, what I'd be doing. Uh, okay, uh, so, so here's the question. What uh, options, if any, Hannah, do you know of any options that, that this gentleman would have or that, you, like in your case, your grandpa would have to get the money out of this plan if the person who it's for, the beneficiary who it's for, decides not to go to school or wants to do something else? Yeah, uh, honestly, no. I mean, Grandpa, what he had to do is he just pulled the money out and had to pay the tax on that money. I don't know That's if right. there's... I don't know if there's any penalties if you just pull it out and you don't use that for for the college plan. I, I bet it's just the taxes that you're hit with. But um, but but Grandpa had to pull it out and and um, you cut that plan off. And and in my in my opinion as well, you know, that's why why what we teach is so dang important in the infinite banking concept. Because in my opinion, when if if I have children, I don't know. I don't want to say when. If I have children, <laughs> that I I don't know if I will use these college education plans to to put, store money away to not be in control of. You know, inside of my banking system, I can use that money forever for whatever X, Y, and Z reason I want to use it for. If I want to go to, to law school or business school or if I want to go to surf school, I'm allowed to use my policy for anything that I want to do. I mean, really. That's why Nelson calls it the infinite banking concept. So, so in my grand idea, I I would have if I was this gentleman, the the parent of this uh, high school graduate. What I would have personally done is putting in twenty thousand a year into my banking system. Hey, maybe I've been using my banking system over the course of that time that they were in school. But then once once they graduate, I now have this cash bucket that all right. 
right, all right, son, if you want to go do this, we can use this because I have this set aside funds just for this. And maybe as I'm talking out loud, maybe that the dad is just so honed in on, well, my son has to use this for the, this college education, you know? I mean, maybe that's why he's so honed in on it because he's got 400000 locked up into this government-sponsored plan that, hey, if my son doesn't use this, I'm going to have to go and pay taxes on $400,000. That's right. That's exactly correct. So, so again, how that tax deferred works is if you put in $1,000 and it grows by 50, if it grows by 50, this is an investment, so it could possibly not grow at all. You could even lose your principal. But if it grows by $50, your $50 grows tax deferred, right? You don't have to pay taxes on the growth. But of course, when you go to take the money out, you're going to have the taxes on all 1050 Now, again, there are considerations where you do give it to your child for school. It's an approved school. It's on the list. And there's not the tax associated with using the money for school. But let me ask you this question, Anna. What about fees? Do 529 plans have fees attached to them? Yes, they do. They, sh they sure do. And if you've seen any of our information or presentation, uh, we talk a little bit about fees. How many times have you seen uh, our example? And if you haven't, maybe we can put a link below this uh, podcast or on our website where you can find it. But we talk about the power of uninterrupted compound interest and what happens if there's a fee attached to that and how much money that fee eats because yep. it's not available or there to compound. For instance, in a 529 plan, it would be the same thing, except the money's not available for it to grow because the fees attached to it, right? So it's not there anymore. Therefore, it can't be invested. It can't earn any money. And all of this is happening inside the 529 plans. So that is exactly how that, how that works. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, just to make, sure, make it very clear, if you do not use the money for education, I do not believe there's a fee attached to that, but there is uh, income tax. You're taxed uh, federally and at your state level for the income that you take out. And again, of course, as you take it out, that's all going to be income in that particular year. So that could have real implications on your on your tax uh, liability for that year. Good. Good. Actually, when you brought that up, I, here's, a, here's a book recommendation for everybody. If y'all haven't heard of uh, uh, this gentleman, his name is Caleb Williams, and uh, he wrote a book called The And Asset. And in that book, he really does touch on how... Because when folks go out and they're working with like financial advisors, right, they, they'll go out, invest their money somewhere, and that advisor will take maybe a 2% cut or whatnot, 2% fee or whatever. But, but you know, we, we think about that rate and we're like, all right, it's only 2%. 2% is so so small, so seldom. 2% is not going to hurt me. But but he Caleb really runs the math behind these different um, uh, subtractions from your investment and how much hindrance it really does make. So, so uh, just since we're talking about it, I want to give uh, all the listeners a resource to go out and, and uh, read up a little bit more. The Power of the Uninterrupted Compounding, uh, Wealth Transfers, maybe even Losses, the Taxes and the Fees, and how much that could really hurt your investment and your, and your warehouse of wealth. That's right. That's right. What about this question, Hannah, for everyone who's listening out there? A lot of people assume that there is principal protection in these 529s. Well, if I contribute 
400,000. You know, I want it to be able to grow, but I'm not going to lose my 400,000. Is that true? No. Nope, sure isn't. Because even though it's called a savings plan, it's actually built on an investment chassis. It's an investment that you're putting the money into. It's the same type of situation we chatted about uh, a few weeks ago when we talked about qualified plans for retirement. They call them retirement savings accounts, savings plans, but it's not saving. It's an investment, which means you've got the ability to lose the principal, right? You can lose the principal. Same thing's going on here in the 529. What about guaranteed growth? Every uh, Well, I'm going to put it in here because I know it's going to go up, right? Guaranteed growth, or I'm going to have guaranteed, uh, you know, interest or earnings or, or anything like that. Any of that going on in 529s? Nope, not at all. Nothing, right? If you really think about it, the question is, what if there was another option? So this is, of course, the big caveat. If there was another option where you would have principal protection, so I can't lose the money I put in, you would have guaranteed growth. When my child turns 18, uh, they can use the money for school or anything else that they might want to use it for. Not to mention, I've got tax-deferred growth and tax-free withdrawals. So deferred means uh, push it off to another spot, but if I've got it tax-free, that means I'm never going to have to pay it, right? Mm -hmm. So I've got all those tax savings, not to mention I've got protection from creditors just in case something happens and we're getting sued and those 18 years we're waiting for them to go to college, right? Not to mention I've got unlimited contributions. I can put as much money as I want in the planner program, which is not available for 529. If you had those two options, this other magical place to put the money where all this was true, and then a 529 plan where you could very possibly be limited, have tax implications, lose your principal, which one would you choose? That's the important aspect, right? That's the yeah. question. Which one would you choose? And I'm not sure that anyone that uh, made the decision sitting down 18 years ago, I want to make sure I've got the money for my child when they hit that age to do what they want to be able to do, chooses the 529. However, that's what lots and lots of folks are choosing because they don't realize that there are other options. There is a different way to do things, and it's the way that Nelson Nash taught. It's becoming your own banker. Therefore, you can use the bank, your own private bank, to finance the things that come up and happen in your life. And that's what we wanted to hit on in this episode. The 529 plan versus the privatized infinite bank. There's just such big differences. There's such big uh, ways that you can make the money move and work for you instead of being stuck uh, under someone else's control and rules and regulations. Oh, that was perfect. That was perfect. No, I, I have nothing else to add. I think I'm ready to um, kind of talk about uh, where we're going to be at this next coming up month. What do we got? Nice. Let's, let's do it. Yeah, I think uh, Brent Kessler himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Money Mentor, will be in Wisconsin on August. Uh, is it August 10th? Is it today? 
Yeah, yeah, he's flying. Oh, it's today. Okay. So if you listen to the last few episodes, you can make it. I think this episode will officially come out after the fact. But the last few episodes we were announcing. So today and tomorrow, Appleton, Wisconsin and Kenosha, Wisconsin. The Banking Bros, which is myself, Jonah Dew, and my brother, Jeremiah Dew, will be live in person teaching about banking in Greenville, South Carolina on August 28th. Those are the August events. And we've got uh, the list of September events coming up very, very shortly, which we'll walk you through and, and talk you through and make sure that if you're in the area, you can absolutely attend. And let me add as well, you can always find our future events. They'll be posted up on the website, www.themoneymultiplier.com. And as well, if this is kind of one of your first episodes that you're listening to of the Money Multiplier podcast, and you're sit- sitting here thinking to yourself, Hannah, what is infinite banking? What is this Nelson Nash guy? What is becoming your own banker? So, so go to the website and up there on our resources, Click on presentation, and that will really start you the foundation knowledge of why we're doing this concept, how we're doing it, etc. So go there to go find more, and we'll catch you next time on the next episode. Thanks for listening.